That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. Yo, what's up? Thanks to humans for bringing us in, and thanks to you for tuning in to Sober Guy Radio. We have a great guest today, and uh, that's Matt Mayberry, and Matt is a former NFL linebacker for the Chicago Bears, and uh, he's also a columnist for Entrepreneur Magazine, as well as a keynote speaker and peak performance strategist. Uh, Matt's story is is pretty crazy. Uh, He was a teenage addict. He was addicted to drugs and alcohol at a very young age. And uh, really, the odds were stacked against him even after he got clean and sober. And the fact that other than his uh, his very supportive mother and father, everyone pretty much told him that he wouldn't uh, amount to anything, that there was no way he'd be able to go on to college. And, um, and, and beyond that, his ultimate dream to play in the NFL. Uh, well, Matt really proved a lot of people wrong with his determination, his drive, his work ethic, and uh, ended up getting a full-ride scholarship to Indiana. And in turn, ended up playing for the Chicago Bears. And uh, that's really where the story almost starts, in a sense, um, is after reaching that high of making it you know, to the NFL, becoming a linebacker for the Chicago Bears, living out his dream in one play, uh, he suffered a life-changing injury. And it was really that event that inspired Matt to embrace his true passion, his true gift, which is really helping others. And uh, helping others achieve the success that they want to by learning how to turn failures into gifts. We're going to talk to Matt. He's a super cool guy, super good dude, really passionate about his work. We're going to get to him in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. At Foundations Recovery Network, our mission is to create lifetime relationships for long-term recovery. In our history of doing good is the promise of your future getting better. So if you or someone you love needs help, please know we are here to help. And the sign on our door says, we care. We create an individualized treatment plan for the whole person, for the whole you, because to us, you matter. The first step to recovery is heroic. We know that. And with our heroes in recovery movement, we honor those who have taken that step toward recovery and stand up for you, and stand beside you, and stand together to break the stigma placed on addiction. Call our confidential and private line at 877-714-1318. We are here to help you, and help has a phone number, 877-714-1318. Make the call. We're listening. We're Foundations Recovery Network. Thanks to Foundations for supporting the show. Much love to them. Now, I wanted to talk to you very briefly about the importance of support and what does your support network look like? Uh, We all go through ups and downs, highs and lows, peaks and valleys, and uh, I'm definitely one who can vouch for that. I have a great support group in family, in friends, uh, meetings. All of that stuff is so important to us, and I can't stress to you the importance of it about surrounding yourself with people 
that inspire you, people that are positive. Uh, that's really going to dictate the outcome of our lives in a sense. Now, ultimately, it's up to us. There's that self-responsibility piece and you know, there, there's no doubt there. But uh, And you'll hear actually Matt talks a little bit about this in, in this episode about who we surround ourselves with and 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 the people the the friends that we are associating ourselves with really um really do make a huge impact on our lives and our family's lives as well so i just wanted to 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 kind of propose that question to you out there listening what does your support group look like think about it for a minute you know who who are the people that are important in your lives and i can't also stress to you enough the importance of of having um, a sponsor, someone that you can call, or or maybe maybe it's a couple different people, quote unquote, sponsors that you call when you get yourself in a spot. I just want to thank my family, my friends, my sponsor, um, you know, my support network out there, and those of you know who you are, those immediate people that I reach out to when I'm going through something, because, uh, you never know what's going to come and when it's going to come. Um, and sometimes you don't understand it. And, you know, I'll speak for myself going through something recently that I just didn't really understand why I was feeling the way that I was feeling. Uh, it, it can be really difficult and usually it's something stupid. It's something simple. Now there are those of us who go through some really serious things and, um, man, even more important to have that support around you you know, to have those people that are close to you. So think about it. And if you don't have that support out there, if you're not feeling that support from a spouse or or from your family or from your friends or from, or you don't have a support group that you go to, man, please go get one. I promise you it'll make a huge difference in your life. Go to thatsoberguide.com. There's a ton of information on there you can find you can also download the six quick tips to quit drinking in 24 hours, a little guide I put together. It's not going to save your ass by any means, but what it will do is help get you started if you're pondering the thought of giving up alcohol. Um, it's just a few tips that I use to help get me going. Also, you can pledge to the show on Patreon, help support us. Uh, that's that's a that's a direct way that you can help support this operation and help keep the Friday shows free. And I uh, just wanted to give a big thanks to Jonathan out there. He made a, um, a donation to the show for the 100th episode. Super cool of you, man. Um, was was really stoked to get that uh, message from you uh, when I got back from the backpacking trip. And um, really meant a lot uh, to know that the show is reaching so many people out there. And it's it's just helping um, helping a ton of people. And in turn, it helps to keep me motivated to stay sober, too. Check out the private Facebook group, Sober Guy, Sober Girl. Last but not least, let's do the iTunes review of the week, and then we'll get to Matt Mayberry. This says, review of the year. It's five stars. It says, this guy, Shane, rocks. Lots of wisdom from a down-to-earth perspective. He should probably call those idiots over at the Dopey Podcast and break it down for him. I hear they were available last Tuesday between two and five. Yes, what's up, fellas over at the Dopey Podcast? Good stuff, man. Good stuff. I, I listened to a little bit of the show recently, and uh, I did enjoy it, man. You had me cracking up. Some good content on there, some real some real talk, and some comedy involved in some serious recovery talk as always well. So I'd love to chat with you guys a bit more, and I'm sure we'll do that in the 
in the near future. Thanks again for listening. Without further ado, here's Matt Mayberry. Welcome to Sober Guy Radio. Thanks for tuning in today. Uh, I am uh, honored to have former NFL linebacker for the Chicago Bears and uh, keynote speaker, also a columnist for Entrepreneur Magazine, Matt Mayberry, joining the show today. And Matt's going to talk to us a little bit um, about his story and share with us about what life is like today and some of the things he's up to and all that good stuff. So Matt, what's up, man? Thanks for joining the show. Thanks so much for having me, Shane. Really appreciate it. Glad to be here, man. What's up, man? Take, take us back maybe to, to when you were younger and uh, we'll, we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, man. So, I mean, I grew up in uh, Darien, Illinois, which is a suburb out of outside of downtown Chicago, uh, you know, probably around 30 minutes from from downtown. I had two wonderful parents growing up, a, a mother and father that are still married, you know, to this day. I have a younger brother, um, you know, and so for me, life growing up, it was it was phenomenal. I had two parents that really did everything possible to make sure that me and my younger brother grew up in a, a loving, caring uh, household, but not only that, they help instilled all the values and characteristics that were going to help us go out into the real world once we grew up and yeah. you know ultimately become uh, valuable uh, to society and make a difference. But you know, somewhere along the line, once I entered high school, um, you know, my whole my whole life changed for the worse. And what I mean by that was I started to hang around with drug addicts, people that were committing crimes. And ultimately, like I say, no matter where I travel in the world, you are who you hang out with. Yeah. So I had started to adopt those habits. And at the age of 16, I became a full blown out drug addict. Mm. Um, and I kind of paint that in perspective for, you know, everyone listening is it wasn't dabbling and smoking a little weed here and there after school or, you know, doing a little or underage drinking. I was a full blown out drug addict. I've done every single drug and you could possibly think of besides heroin. My mother seen me do cocaine five times. Um, so that's the, that's the life I was living at six years old. My guidance counselor told me that I'd either be dead or in prison by my 18th birthday. Yeah. That's encouraging, huh? From your guidance counselor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so that, that's just, <laughs> you know, I, at the time I really didn't think anything of it because yeah, I was living yeah. my life at 16, you know, Shane, it was, it was, it's my way or the highway. You know, I, yeah. I, I make the rules, you know, I, I kind of walked around like I was God, you know, like yeah. no, not, no one could stop me from living this life that I was living for the past three years. Um, were you, were you an athlete at that time or were you playing, I was playing sports or absolutely. I was an athlete and my best sport actually growing up. And at that dark depraved world that I was living in was baseball. Really? Baseball was my best sport growing up. A lot of people don't know that. Um, you know, but I was actually supposed to get drafted out of high school for baseball. I had scouts come to watch me right out of high school. Um, so I had a very promising future ahead of me for the sport of baseball, but I ended yeah. up getting kicked kicked off my baseball team my <laughs> sophomore year um, because I actually stole one of my teammates' wallets because I saw money in there and started to think about all the drugs that I could buy with the money in the <laughs> wallet. Wow, man. That's, you know, you know, that's, that's crazy because, you know, we look at it, we, we talk about as adults, you know, a lot of, a lot of people live double lives, you know, like they have, they have their vices going on and then they're, they're taking care of business on the other side of it. Not a lot of people know you're, so you're as a, as a teenager, man, you're almost kind of living a double life too. Here you are, this athlete, you know, you're, you're you got scouts coming out. Um, you know, you're, you're good at what you do. And at the same time, you're a full blown drug addict. Does, does everybody yep. know that at the time? Or is this, just, is this something that you're kind of holding, like holding in? In the beginning, not everyone knew about it, actually very few people. But once I started to get in trouble and get suspended from school, and then I had to go to a drug treatment program. And then, you know, my whole life started spiraling down. Once I got kicked off the baseball team is really when people, you know, the story kind of got loose. You know, Matt's out of his mind. Matt's crazy. Yeah. He's, you know, 
just he's he's just a complete junkie. Um, so that's what the the word started to go around, and and that's really when you know after I got kicked off the baseball team, that's really when I went down even further. Because here I was, baseball not only was my best sport, but it was my most favorite sport. Yeah, I loved I loved the game of baseball, and even back then. You know, so here I am thinking, hey, I'm going to go to the MLB one day. I'm going to go play in the major leagues, a lifelong dream. And then, boom, just like that, I got kicked off. And it really spiraled me down even further to do more drugs, to stay out later, to, dis, you know, not listen to my parents, disrespect my elders, and really just not have, not, not give a, you know, yeah. care about yeah. anything in the world. <laughs> Talking to kids, and because we were them at one point, we're hard headed. We, we don't, we th- like, like you had already mentioned, we think we know everything. Um, how do you, I mean, how do, how do you work with youth and how to get through to them or at least maybe at the least, maybe you can't get through, but at least resonate with them and relate to them a little bit so they can see, um, you know, like the path, you know, if if they're troubled youth, the path I'm heading down right now is not Mm -hmm. a good thing. You know, I think the biggest thing, Shane is, you know, I think especially at, you know, at the age of 15, 16, 17, and even 40, 50, 60, you know, it's association is everything. Yeah. You know, when I travel around the world and speak to, you know, whether it's a Fortune 500 company or a university's football team or even a high school, um, I'll always say you are who you hang out with. Show me your five closest friends, the people you hang your, you know, hang around with most. And those are the habits that you're going to develop and instill. Yeah. And those are the characteristics that you're actually going to develop as a human being. So, you know, if you want to achieve some big and massive goal for yourself, hang around people that are doing big things and want to achieve big and massive goals for themselves. Yeah, yeah. You know, but if you start hanging around with people that are breaking the law, doing drugs, drinking every single day, and just not giving a, you know, d- giving a damn about anyone or anything, you're ultimately going to develop and instill those habits as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't raised in that environment. I grew up in a wonderful neighborhood with two loving and caring parents. You know, but it was because of the people I hung around with. So, to answer your question, I think the the biggest thing I would focus on, and I still do today when I talk to the youth, is get serious about who you associate with. Yeah. You know, yeah, cause at, huge. Fi- at 15, 16, 17, you're not really thinking about it and you might want to be the cool person and, and try to stand out. And, um, you know, but I think at the end of the day, if you can really get serious about who you hang around with, you're, you will be setting yourself up for massive success down the road. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I love that. And it's, uh, it's so important and it's hard, it's hard to do as a kid too, man. When I think back, I mean, it's a, it's a tough thing. Like, uh, for me, a lot of things going on at home during my, my teen years. And, and I know a lot of kids can relate to that. Uh, maybe they have issues at home with their, with their, with their parents. It's a dysfunctional type of family. A lot of us grew up like that, um, as well, you know, and what, when I, when I look at, at your situation, though, it's a bit different in the fact that you had to, you know, supporting parents, um, who supported you. Um, it's awesome. We're still married today. I mean, that's a huge feat in today's society. The divorce rate is yeah. just, you know, it's, it's ridiculous really. Um, how, how did you get on that path? Like from having that foundation, um, you know, what kind of led you there? Was it just, just partying or just kind of not caring or. Well, it was back to my, the last statement about association, you know, who yeah. I was hanging around with, you know? So here I was, I thought, you know, one day when I entered high school as a freshman, I saw the kids that were popular and getting all the attention. I, those were the kids getting in trouble, getting arrested, yeah. doing drugs, snorting cocaine every day, selling drugs. So here I was. It started off with smoking a joint, and then it turned into doing a little cocaine. And then it turned into just a, a complete uh, environment for me where I was, you know, that, that's what I was doing every single yeah. day and hanging around these people, selling drugs, committing robberies. I mean, it was just a mess of a world that I was living in. Yeah. Um, so to answer the question, it solely was out of, trying to fit in, trying to look popular and cool. And then, 
you know, who I hung out, who I hung yeah. around with. Yeah, it's cool, man. I appreciate your honesty on that too, because I know that when, you know, when we talk about some of our past uh, things, uh, sometimes it's not, it's not always easy to talk about. And I think that's part of the growth process. And um, one, one of the things actually, to, I was going to wait till later in the conversation, but it's really relevant to now is the future can be bigger than the past. And I, I saw that you had, um, you know, you, you had spoke about that in one of your, um, one of your presentations and mm-hmm. it's such a good point, man. I mean, we don't have to live that, that person who we once were doesn't mean that that's who we are today. It doesn't mean where we're going. We can, we can change, I guess, is the point. Absolutely. You know, I think it's so important for recovering alcoholics, drug addicts, or even people that have experienced some hardship or failure throughout the course of life. Maybe they lost a loved one. They're going through a divorce, whatever turmoil that they're in. You know, the more you can and understand and really help yourself to force to see that the future can be bigger than the past, the better off you'll be. Yeah. You know, I couldn't recover as a drug addict until I could really see that the future absolutely could be bigger than the, in the, you know, in the past, yeah. uh, the future than the past. So, I mean, for me, I had to see that and in order for that to come true. And really that stems from, you know, professional, personally, relationships, whatever it may be. So it's constantly joining that vision, your ideal vision into the future and realizing that the future really can be bigger than the past. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's such a great point. And let's kind of, let's dive into that a little bit deeper, man, if you don't mind. If we, if we sure. jump back, um, how old are you when you kind of have this realization and, um, and what, what takes place and changes for you that you, that you finally realized like I'm, I'm messing up right now and I need to change. Sure. So what, what, what had happened for me, it wasn't really, um, I was, uh, I was still 16. I was 17 when I completely made my full transformation. Uh, what happened was I was going to get expelled from high school. You know, my high school mm-hmm. said, Matt, you're, you know, you, you've done everything wrong. We've, we've suspended you almost every week. You get a detention almost every day. You disrespect your elders. You got kicked off the baseball team. The football team is giving you chance over chance and chance again. There's nothing else that we can do. So you're going to get expelled. If, here comes the ultimatum, if you go to work on yourself, help yourself, and go to a drug treatment program, and my parents were there. It was kind of like an intervention. And I, you know, I, I didn't go because I wanted to go. I actually went because my grandfather offered me $500 if I went to the drug treatment facility. <laughs> a little bribe there, huh? <laughs> exactly. And as a former addict, you know, how do yeah. we think? You know, I mean, you can't change unless you want to change. And I exactly. didn't want to change. So I really thought of the $500 as another outlet for me to buy more drugs and then go yeah. sell more drugs. Yeah. Um, so what happened was, I, long story short, I ended up going to the drug treatment facility. I was completely miserable, Shane, for the first two weeks. I hated being there. I, I hated the people that I was with. I just thought about all the drugs I could be doing instead, the people <laughs> I could be hanging around with. So I was a complete mess, yeah. you know, because this is the last, fr- you know, freaking place in the world that I want to be. Um, but my situation changed. My life really changed forever. When I came home one night for dinner, uh, two weeks into it, I've been sober for two, two weeks, first time in really three years. Um, so that alone was making me miserable. What happened was after dinner one night, I go upstairs and my father calls me in his room. And mind you, my father is one of the strongest human beings I've ever met. It's not a 330-pound lineman that wanted to rip my head off in the NFL. It's my father. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he's been an iron worker for the past 35 years, blue-collar work ethic. You know, so everything that I know about not only how to be a man but how to work hard and put your head down every day and go to work comes from him. I, I don't um, think there's a better example of a man than an iron worker. If you put it from like a blue collar manly perspective, that is a dangerous and gnarly ass job. 
Absolutely. A hundred percent, hundred percent agree with you. And, and what happened was when he called me in the room is he started to break down in tears, you know? So here I am never wow. in my life have seen my father cry or even, you know, uh, any type of tears in his eyes. And he just started to break down and say, Matt, what did we do wrong as parents? What did me and your mother do wrong? You know, we don't know wow. if we can go on anymore. You know, we, 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 we don't know. I mean, your mother's almost having a heart attack from all the stress you're putting her through. And, um, so I, in that moment, I, I listened to what he was saying and I, it went in one ear and out the other, but I still, I, I still felt it for a moment. But it, it ultimately, it went in one ear and out the other. I said, "Yeah, okay." I left the room, and I went and took a shower after my father just basically cried out, you know, to me. Yeah. And when I got out of the shower that night, Shane, for the first time in three years, I had the courage to look myself in the mirror. I don't know. I don't know why. After all the times my coaches and parents said, "Just look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself if this is really what you want for your life," I never took their advice. But for for some reason, when I got out of the shower, I, I looked myself directly in the mirror, and for the first time in three years, I could see what a monster I've been. All the all the tears that I put on my mother's face, all the you know anger, disappointment, depression, all these emotions that were built up, and all the horrible things I've done over the years. And in, in the blink of an eye, I completely collapsed to my knees. In the blink of an eye, you know, I, I couldn't even stand up. And it wasn't me just wow. gently getting down on my knees. I literally collapsed, yeah. you know, and realizing all the, the terrible things that I've done to my mother and father and the people that love me most, that I love most. And it was in that moment in time when you asked, what was the turning point for you? It was when I decided to look myself in the mirror and realize that it doesn't have to be this way. It does not have to be this way. I don't have to feel like crap. I don't have to hurt the people that love me most. And my father would leave motivational books laying around the house. And in this particular uh, instance, he was leaving a book called See You at the Top, just hoping one day his son would pick it up. And uh, a book by Zig Ziglar. And it had, it was uh, bookmarked on the page of uh, goal setting. And this is when I you know, realized and asked myself, what can I do to get myself out of the situation? And I knew that the only thing, I lost baseball not playing anymore, but I still have football. And if I can get a division one college scholarship, I can start the building blocks to build a bigger future for myself. So it was in that moment in time when I set a goal to get a division one college scholarship offer, you know, because our lives either change by, you know, us wanting to, or just disgust, you know, we just, we, we hate where we are. We hate the amount of money we make. We hate our job. We hate the life that we're living. We need a change. And for me, that was it. You know, I reached rock bottom. It's uh, it, and and the rock bottom thing, the misery of it, that point of of total surrender too. I mean, that that's what that seems like to me. That your knees buckle and you're down, and and you, you know, I was just talking about this. I think with my wife about how we can't help somebody, even that we want to help, we can't help ourselves. We can't help anybody else until either that person or ourselves are willing to surrender. And so you have to give that up and stop fighting it. I know for so many years, it sounds like you're in the same boat is we're, we're fighting ourselves. We're fighting, we're fighting, we're fighting, we're fighting control. We're trying to do things on our own. And man, the, the weight that I, I could feel the weight lifting off of you as you're describing that story. Like, you know, just it's gone. You know what I mean? Then you start setting these goals that kind of leads leads into um you ended up at indiana university you hold some records there um it i think it was the uh howard brown award um, yeah for, which, for leadership and work yeah, ethic leadership uh, and work ethic i mean that's that's pretty amazing what it what is that part how does that transformation take place in college and then end up ultimately leading you to uh playing in the nfl 
Sure. You know, and I should, you know, say, cause I know everyone listening is probably, well, wow, that sounds sexy. You know, you're a complete <laughs> drug addict and then you, you know, have yeah. this epiphany and then you, you get I a know. scholarship, you know, so I should add in there that, you know, after I set that goal, it was a lot of challenges ahead for me. Yeah. Um, you know, people doubted me. I, I remember going into school after I set the goal and I had this newfound, you know, energy and passion for life. You know, I, I realized that I really wanted to create a bigger future for myself and really ultimately make something of myself. I've been in disgust for the past three years of, uh, just a disgusting human being living in a disgusting way. Uh, so did, I really did. You get did, hated on a lot. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> because, I mean, yeah. Not only the, the the past drug buddies that I, you know, they they thought I was absolutely crazy. That yeah. no, there's no way you're a drug addict. You're a scumbag. You're not going to go on playing college. And everyone doubted me. I even had family members doubt me. You know, but I I knew that. I always talk about find out what your why is. Why do you wake up in the morning? Why do you do what you do every single day? Get connected with that why. Yeah. And at that moment, that was my why. I wanted to pay back my mother and father that did so much for me, that spent so much money to help get their child back on the right track. I, that was my why. I was living for my, my loved ones, the people that were there for me when I had nothing, when I was really throwing my life away. Yeah. So I had my why, and there was no one that was going to talk me out of that. And every day, seven days a week, I worked on my craft every day, at least three, four hours a day, after school till midnight, 1 a.m., whenever it was. I worked at getting stronger, faster, and bigger so I can get a Division One college scholarship offer. Seven yeah. days a week. It was overtraining. People thought I was crazy. They, This guy's wasting his time. He's a scumbag. Get out of here. Yeah. A year later, after putting my head down and blocking out all the naysayers and critics, I had 19 Division One college scholarship Damn. offers. Damn. That's rad, bro. That's you know? So when I, when I tell people... You know, I've lived that. I've lived when, you know, yeah. you know, setting a big, not only hitting rock bottom, but then setting a goal and working towards that every single day. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of, a, a lot of folks, uh, unfortunately, or maybe some do realize it. Maybe it takes some longer than others. And unfortunately, you know, some people don't ever realize it is that whether it's addiction, whether it's a, a dream that you have, no matter what it is, is it takes work and actually putting in the time and the effort to get that goal. Anything is possible. You're, you're a great example of that, obviously, with all the doubt and, and, and people. I mean, it would have been easier for you to sit back and say, yeah, you know what? I am a scumbag. I am a, 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 a POS. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not worthy of this. There's no way I can do it and go on and, and you know, continue on. But you didn't, and and you stood up, and not only did you say I'm going to do it, you went in and you actually put the work in. So whether it's a 12 step program, whether it is um, work on relationships, a job that that you're going after, whatever it is out there for the folks listening, like anything is possible, and you can get it. But you got to hustle and move your ass and go out there and get it. Um, so take take us into in, into college, man. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, once I got a scholar, you know, the scholarship started rolling in. That's kind of when I really realized, like, holy cow, you yeah. know, I really can make some of my life, you know, because I think that's why goal setting, I think, is so important because it gives you the, you know, the power and self-confidence to let yourself know. And I, I tell people all the time, go for the small daily wins, you know, set three small daily wins every single day and make sure you dominate them and conquer them and achieve them every day. And little by little, you'll start to build self-confidence, raise your self-esteem and start to get your swagger back, you know, regardless of what you had to overcome in the past, you know, so for me, when I got that scholarship, it got it gave me that self-esteem, that motivation to go to the next level. When I went to college, I knew that one day I wanted to play in the NFL. You know, and I, and, and that's just dating back to I wanted to give my mother and father everything that they, you know, help them out with everything that they've done. I wanted to put my city on my back and 
uh, really just do everything I you know possibly yeah. could to really make a difference in the world. So for co- college for me was a great experience. I went to Indiana. I still get asked today why I chose Indiana because Indiana notoriously is known for basketball. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but I, I met a man named Terry Hepner who was the head coach at the time. Um, and he's just a phenomenal, phenomenal human being, not only one of the best football coaches I've ever had, but also one of the greatest leaders I've ever, you know, came across. And he told me, looked me in the eyes when I went on my recruiting visit and said, Matt, if you come to Indiana, you're going to become more successful outside of football than you ever will be in football. Wow. And looking at my past, Shane, with all the drugs and all the, all the things that I went through and, and all the hurt that I've caused my mother and father and loved ones. I knew that I wanted to play for a man that truly wanted to see me succeed in the game of life, not just in football. So that's why I chose Indiana. I had a great career at Indiana. Um, I still hold the record today for most sacks in a game where I had four sacks against Central Michigan University. Nice. Um, so for me, it was a great experience. Yeah. You know, I still yeah. hold those uh, playing in Ohio State, you know, playing in front of 90, 100,000 people every Saturday. You <laughs> know, I crazy. mean, it's uh it was an incredible yeah. feeling, great experience that I still cherish to this day. Um, you know, so I, no complaints for me. It was yeah. a true yeah. blessing. Well, so so folks out there listening, okay, so so we've gotten through uh, some of Matt's story so far, and um, take a breath real quick because it's going to get a little more gnarly now. Because now we're going to talk about the peaks and the valleys of going into the NFL and being on probably a, a, a pink cloud, a cloud nine, doing, doing your dream, living out, you know, this, this dream that you've had and all the struggles that you've been through to get there. And then on one play, um, something happens that completely changes the course of your life again. So maybe we can jump into that. I'm playing for the hometown team, the Chicago bears, you know, so you can just imagine town, man. That's, I mean, that's like a born 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 and raised in the Chicagoland area. So for me, I grew up, you know, loving the Chicago Bears. I still remember this day, you know, when I would run around the house driving my mother absolutely crazy at six years old wearing a Walter Payton jersey, (laughs) (laughs) you know, thinking I was from the 1985 Chicago Bears. Yeah. Um, So for me, it truly was an incredible experience to, you know, to to play for the hometown team, to have this opportunity that only 1% of the population gets to live out. And for me, it was just an incredible blessing. But dating back to what you were saying, I worked my way up from fourth team to second team, you know, during training camp. So I was having a very good training camp. And in my very first game in the NFL, very first game with two minutes left before halftime, I hurt my ankle. And at this, in this moment, you know, as a football player, big, you know, tough men and, you know, been playing the sport for over 15 years at the time. And, you know, we're taught to play. There's a big, big difference between being hurt and being injured. You know, if bone's not sticking out, you can keep playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, throw some tape on it, huh? <laughs> exactly. You know, so I, I went back in, uh, you know, halftime. I continued playing till halftime, went back, got an x-ray. You can't tell anything these days by x-rays. Yeah. It just showed that I had a high ankle sprain. Long story short, I continued to play the rest of the game. I had a pretty good game. I had like six tackles, two tackles for loss. So I was feeling really good about myself. Yeah, yeah. But here comes my whole world come crashing down on me again. The next morning when I wake up to go to the bathroom, I completely collapse. I fell so hard that my AC joint in my shoulder, you know, damn near popped out of my socket. Wow. And that's when I knew that this is not just a sprained ankle. And the NFL stands for not for long for a reason. <laughs> 
Yeah. You know, the average career in the NFL is about around three years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So I knew that my, not only, you know, am I injured and hurt, I wasn't even thinking about that. Oh, my God, what's wrong with me? I was thinking about, oh, my God, my dream. I'm not going to be playing in the NFL anymore. Yeah. You know, I, I worked my way. I, st- I started to think about all the drugs, all the things I had to overcome, the dark, depraved world that nearly killed me. And I finally get to this stage of my life when I'm playing in the NFL for the hometown team, the Chicago Bears, I get hurt my very first game. Yeah, man. And long story short, I'm waiting on the doctor and the results. He comes in and says, Matt, you're not going to be playing football for a very long time. Hmm. And it was in that moment, Shane, where I, I, I nearly freaked out. You know, And I knew the doctor couldn't give me a magic pill or yeah. you know, wave a magic wand and my ankle was going to be completely healed. But I started to think about everything that I had to overcome to get to this point. You know, to think about the 1% of the population that gets to play a professional sport. And I was that person. And just to hear that, because I knew that if I was out for six months is what the doctor projected. It ended up being nine months completely um, that my, my career was over with, basically. That's a long time for a, a rookie to be out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, well, and and at that moment, or shortly after that moment, as it sinks in, um, you know, looking at it from the outside, I would think you have a choice to make. You have, um, you know, you have a couple different paths you could go down. You could go down back to that old life. I'm sure that um, did that ever cross your mind? I mean, in all it did, it did, it did, it did cross my mind a couple times. I didn't go down that path, um, but it was a thought though. It was, it a, was thought. a thought, absolutely. Yeah. And I think the only reason why I didn't go down that path is because after two weeks, what happens is you can't get cut. An NFL team cannot release someone or cut someone when they're injured. Got it, got it, okay. But what can happen is you can reach an injury settlement you know, with someone. So that's what happened with me. I reached an injury settlement with the Chicago Bears, which that's basically just as much as saying you're cut. Yeah. Um, except, you know, here, you take your money, we take ours, you yeah. go that way, we go this way. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Yeah. So here I was not on the Chicago Bears anymore. I lost my dream. I'm miserable, depressed. I haven't talked to any family or friends for two weeks. Really? And I think the only reason why I didn't go back down that road is because two weeks into that, you know, misery, just feeling sorry for myself, I get a phone call from Stedman Graham, uh, who's Oprah Winfrey's boyfriend of the past 30 years. Huh. And I met him at a charity event the month prior and we started talking and he loved my story and, um, you know, we just, we just hit it off and he wanted me to speak at a leadership event. And I think taking that opportunity, even though at first I did not want to do it, I got a D in public speaking in college (laughs) and I was terrified at the moment to speak in front of a group of 20 people. So my first reaction was get the hell out of here. I'm not speaking at this. I'm not doing it. Um, but I think it was taking that opportunity with Stebman that ultimately saved my life again. Because I, yeah. I, I can almost guarantee you that I would have went back down that road if I did not take that opportunity that night to speak at that event with Stedman. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in uh, non-coincidences, I guess. And I, I really do feel that God puts things in our lives uh, for Absolutely. a certain reason. And it's up to us to recognize what those are. That's, that's really amazing, man. You know, it's a true blessing in disguise, Shane. I really yeah. think that every, and that's really what my whole book is all about. It's, it's really not only helping, you know, everyone try to, one of my biggest goals in life is to help people rediscover and reshift 
you know, what failure means to them. You know, we, so many people look at failure as some major negative and, uh, so many people, they look at it as such a major negative and they let, then they let the fear of failure paralyze them from really taking action. Like we talked about before and going after what they passionately desire. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you had mentioned the book and, and since we're on the topic, it's called winning plays, tackling adversity and achieving success in business and in life. And it uh, just came out on September 6th. Yeah. I mean, the, the book is like I mentioned, I, the premise of the book, I wrote the book cause I wanted to really, um, you know, help people rediscover what failure really is for. You know, if you look yeah. at the Steve jobs, Abraham Lincoln's Thomas Edison, all the phenomenal human beings, Martin Luther King to ever walk the face of this earth, they're also, even though that they might have some of the most successes, they also have some of the most failures. Yeah. And what I want to help people realize is that failure doesn't have to be the end-all be-all, as most people think of it as. You know, it's not something negative. It's, it's actually something positive that's there to help mold you and build you and to become the best version of yourself. And I think that if you can reshape what failure really means for you in your life, your life will never, ever be the same again. Because what happens is, when you view failure as a negative, then you let the fear of failure start to build up. And that's why so many people do not take action and they're paralyzed by the fear of failure yeah. from actually going after things that they passionately desire. And then they end up going to their grave with all their talents and abilities and dreams and goals still inside of them. Yeah, that's that's huge, man. And I think that kind of correlates in in getting in a comfort zone, right? And so like wh- one one of the things I often contemplate or or uh, or think about is how do I live in the present and enjoy the present moment and and try to stay in tune to that, but at the same time not get stuck inside of a comfort zone where I'm not evolving and not living up to my full potential. Um right. how, what's your advice on breaking out of a comfort zone? I think it's uh something that I try to do every single day and the, you know, the advice I give that, that that's worked well for not only myself, but you know, other people, the audience that I've spoken to all around the world is do something every day that scares you. Yeah. Do yeah, something every cool. day that scares you. And that could be something as simple as, you know, it doesn't have to be go skydiving or, you know, do some, you know, massively, you know, insane <laughs> thing that you've had on your yeah. bucket list for a long time. It could just be, you know, wake up 30 minutes earlier. You know, yeah. it could be read 15 minutes of a book, do one thing every single day, that you've been procrastinating on, that you that scares you, that um, you know that you've been holding back on, and I think every single day when you when you go head on and face head on with that resistance that we have every single day, you every single day you'll start to build a little more courage upon one another, and over time that will give you the strength to start to take massive action towards building really your dream life. You know, going yeah. after those things that you're passionate about. And till this day, I will still do one thing every day. That not only might scare me, that I might have been procrastinating on in the past or whatever it may be, but I make sure that I take action on something that I that either scares me or that I've been pushing back from. Yeah, that's that's great advice, man. And I, I the the resistance factor of just life in general. We all have you know different different parts and different things going on, but just that resistance can be so strong. I think um, that kind of ties into routines and how we get in routines and how we can kind of stay on track. Um, what does your daily routine look like? What's what's stuff that kind of helps keep you focused and keep you in in the right frame of mind? Sure. And I, I lay all that out in the book, you know, how, my goal setting process that has worked, that has really helped me achieve every single goal that I've ever set for myself, um, as well as daily routines. But to give you an example of, uh, you know, like my morning routine, I'll wake up, even though I hate the mornings, I wake up fairly early. 
um, the first thing I'll do is I, I read for 15 minutes a day. You know, instead of turning on the news or reading the newspaper, I live in Chicago. So if I turn on the news or read the newspaper, I'm going to read about a young young boy or girl that just got shot in the head from gang, yeah. Yeah, that's you know, crazy. gang activity. You know, so, um, you know, that that's going to start my day in a negative light. But for me, I always encourage people to start your day, find a routine. It doesn't have to be an hour like mine is. Maybe it could be 30 minutes to start, 20 minutes to start. But what I do is I get up. I read for about 15 minutes, something motivational, inspirational. It's going to get my mind right in a positive way. From there, I meditate for 15 more minutes. And at that moment in time, I, uh, I work out. I usually get a workout in from 30 to 45 minutes a day. Um, and then from there, I, I go back. I have a green smoothie with some protein in that. That gets my body reju- rejuvenated, ready to attack yeah. the day. I write down my goals every single day. Every day I write down my goals. I usually have eight goals that I want to achieve each year. And every day I write down the same goals. I just plant them in my subconscious mind. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Every day, morning and night, I write down my goals. So you're actually doing the long-term goals every day. Those are th- these aren't short-term goals you're talking about. These are right? this my, is yearly, goals. Your my yearly, yearly goals. Wow, that's yeah, that's right. I've, I've... I've never done that before. I've, I've thought of like the short-term goals on a daily basis. Yeah, so how I, I, I like I said, I go in depth about it in my book, the exact yeah. goal-setting process. Uh, but what I have is I have my one-year goals, things that I want to you know, be, do, and achieve uh, you know, for one year. Then I have my you know, lifetime goals, things I want to do 5, 10, 15 years from now. But every day I write out my one-year goals. Yeah. Like right now I have seven goals on that list. I write them down every day, morning and night, repetition, repetition, over and over again. Um, and from there, I look at my priorities, you know, my value statements. So I have about five values, priorities that are non-negotiable in my life. You know, so I'm a man of faith. So my spirituality is on that list. Every day I set aside time for prayer. Mm-hmm. Second on that list is, you know, family, you know, so my family, you know, call someone in my family every day, tell them how much they mean to me, love how much I love them. Uh, family is non-negotiable. The third thing is business, you know, doing what I do, getting to make a difference in the lives of so many people. And then, you know, fourth is fitness and health. And then fifth is, you know, my social, uh, making time for my friends and, uh, you know, stuff of that nature. So what I do by looking at this, it really helps me to prioritize my life, you know, so I'm not all over the picture. You know, I want to make sure that I'm adding these things into my life that's really going to help me get that energy and find that passion for really life in general. Yeah. And then from there, you know, since we're on the routine, the last thing I do is uh, the night before I write out my daily to-do list. You know, and I think this is a key thing because most people have their to-do list as go to the grocery store and, you know, do this. And, you know, it, they're not, a, they don't put high value tasks on their list. So everything that I put on my to-do list is a high value task that's going to give me a huge reward for completing it. And it could be a task that is going to help me get closer to the achievement of a major goal or dream that I want to achieve right now. But every day I usually put around three to five things on my daily to-do list I make that the night before, but after my morning routine, I look at this task list and I get started on my A1. And my A1 is my most important task. I eat the frog the first thing in the morning. Every day I do the most hardest, uh, most difficult, and the thing that I know I'm going to procrastinate on the first thing in the morning. I usually have that done by at least 9.30 a.m. So to, to transition here, uh, Matt, I have, I have a buddy of mine, uh, a good buddy of mine, Josh, and uh, he's a huge Bears fan ever since mm-hmm. I've known him. 
Um, Kit, his his two boys, uh, Gabe and Noah, also big big time Chicago Bears fans, and they're both athletes. And I know Gabe is just getting into high school. Um, mm-hmm. He's just started to play football. Um, so for for a kid like Gabe, um, you know, and to any, any other kid out there who might be listening to this. Um, you know, when we talk about being a professional athlete, there's so much that goes into that. There's so much beyond just the sport. What advice can you give a kid out there who, who's looking to be a professional athlete? You know, and this is for everything. It's for, it's for, it's for someone that wants to start their own business as an entrepreneur. It's for someone yeah. that wants to, you know, uh, rise to the top of their profession. Um, and as well as a young kid that wants to play professional sport, it's do the work. You know, you, I'm telling you right now, when I was, when I had that epiphany and realized that I wanted to get a division one college scholarship offer, one of the first things I did, Shane, was make a commitment to myself that no one is going to outwork me. Yeah. Nobody. They might come from better circumstances. Mommy and daddy might own a company and give them everything that they ever want in life. Someone might be more privileged than me, but the one thing that is not going to happen is there's not going to be one person that's going to outwork me. And I still hold that true today, every single day. That's why I have a motto that I carry around with me every day, GBT, get better today. I have it written down in a note card that I carry with me in my wallet every day. I look at this and I know that there is not one single person that's going to outwork me. You know, you might have a better situation than me. You might make more money. You might have mommy and daddy that's there for you more so than me. Whatever it may be, no one is going to outwork me. And I think it sounds so cliche. I know some people might want better advice or, you know, we've heard that before, but so many people totally forget. They, they look at the glory. They see, look at all the athletes on TV, but they don't realize what the LeBron James had to do, what he had to sacrifice to yeah. get there, yep. you know, and I've seen it with my own two eyes playing next to future hall of famers, such as Brian Urlacher and Lance Briggs and, you know, all these phenomenal athletes, they work ridiculously hard yeah so you know when you ask me um sorry it's not a more sexy answer (laughs) (laughs) no man i love it um but you know i i think you really do have to look yourself in the mirror and really make a a commitment as i like to call it to have a sickening work ethic last uh last thing for you matt and then we'll wrap this up man i greatly appreciate your time today um one of the things that that stood out to me that i uh that i had came across that you said is don't compete dominate Uh, can Mm -hmm. you elaborate on that it goes right back to what I just said about the past, about you know wanting to yeah. start your own business, or as a young kid wanting to play in the NFL, NBA, MLB. One day, it's you know don't go, don't get into it just tiptoeing, hoping that you're just going to make it or that you're just going to be average. You know, go into something knowing that you want to make waves, that you want to dominate the competition, you want to dominate the person you were the day before. And what I mean by dominating is becoming the best that you can possibly become in that moment, giving your all, hundred and ten percent in that specific moment, in whether it's a business meeting, whether it's a, you're getting ready to close a deal, whether it's a, a football game that you're getting to play in, dominate that moment. Don't worry about what happened last month or last year or even yesterday. Don't focus on what's going to happen next year. Focus on this moment living in the now and dominate that. And when you start to do that day by day, you really will start to dominate the market, the competition, and ultimately, you're going to start to dominate your goals. And that's what it's all about for me is we don't want to compete with anybody. We don't want to compete with ourselves even. We want to dominate the competition ourselves and who the, the, uh, the person that we were the day before. Thanks, Matt, man. Uh, so if, if uh, listeners out there want to find more information about you, 
um, about your book. Uh, where can they do that at? Yeah, so my website is mattmayberryonline.com, and uh, the book is in you know, your local Barnes & Noble, any bookstore. It's, it's available wherever books are sold, uh, as well as amazon.com. Uh, just search uh, Matt Mayberry Winning Plays. And we'll also put a link in the show notes to the book, uh, and you can also find it there. Uh, okay, Matt, great. Matt, hey, thanks so much, man, for coming on and sharing your story, man. It's 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 uh, just an honor to have you on. It's an amazing story. It's super inspirational. I know it's going to uh, touch some folks out there that are listening and hope, hopefully change some lives as well, man. So thank you again. Thanks so much for having me, Shane. Keep up the great work, man. You're making a difference. Hey, thank you, man.